Welcome to the First Time Facilitator Podcast. Whether you're a first-time facilitator or a seasoned pro, listen in for tips and tricks to make a bigger impact at the next workshop you deliver. And now, your host, Leanne Hughes. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Leanne Hughes, and I'm here to help you design fast, deliver strong without stress. We are in the limited season of the First Time Facilitator podcast. It's great to be back here in your earbuds. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is to celebrate the launch of my brand new book about workshops called The Two-Hour Workshop Blueprint. Right, let's just jump into what today's conversation is all about. Well, I think facilitation and creating a community actually go hand in hand. And the skills that you bring to either of those two facilitating workshops, as well as creating community, are very complementary. So what better way to explore this than by chatting to Anna Maria Dorgo. Anna Maria is the founder, community catalyst and L&D mentor at L&D Shakers, which is a platform for L&D professionals to connect, develop and take bold actions that will drive growth in their personal and professional lives, as well as their organizations, communities and the larger L&D industry. Now, in this conversation, I had to laugh as we talk about this ruthless striving for engagement. We have to get engagement. It really made me laugh. So what does that actually mean though? I mean, engagement can mean different things to different people and it's okay if your engagement in your community ebbs and flows, which I have found very reassuring. In this conversation, we also talk about understanding the purpose of your community, how to start small and not go in with like a complete plan of what you want to create with your community, but let feedback inform the type of value that you bring We explore workshops and the power of brevity. So keeping things brief, how Anna Maria uses time boxing and simple slides to keep her sessions on track and also how she's building her brand. She's extremely active and creates a lot of amazing content on LinkedIn. Anna Maria Dorgo is currently working at butter.us where she is dedicated to establishing a platform that brings together facilitators, workshops, trainers, design thinkers, innovation and strategy consultants. Her goal is to provide a space where these professionals can collaborate, exchange best practice, overcome challenges and further their careers. As a freelancer, she partners with companies and NGOs to design and implement impactful and memorable learning experiences. As always, a link to connect with Anna Maria will be in the show notes for this one. And of course, if you want to continue the conversation, join our community of over 2000 facilitators in our free group called The Flip Chart, which is on Facebook. Link to that is in the show notes. And of course, Anna Maria and I want to hear from you. Let us know what were your favorite tips from this episode. Share the love on social media and no doubt you'll find value and hopefully be engaged with this conversation. Okay, now onto the show. I am so excited to welcome onto the First Time Facilitator podcast, Anna Maria Dorgo. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Leanne. Thanks for having me. I've seen a lot of the work that you do on LinkedIn and also just through messages and things like that. Um, But for listeners that may not know about you and your story with facilitation, can you share a bit of an insight to how you discovered this field? Yes. So we have to go back a bit, maybe around five years ago. My background is in HR. I studied psychology. I have a master in HR and I've been working back then as an HR business partner already for years. And somehow as an HR business partner, you're, you're managing the whole employee life cycle for A to Z and learning, development, training was always a, a tiny part of that. So mm-hmm. I was already delivering trainings and they weren't very facilitators. So they were really like tra- proper training where you're delivering the junk information. You have some activities, et cetera. But the shift for me, like, I think it changed maybe before I actually joined and started community building. 
I just, I can't recall if it was your podcast or Miriam podcast. I discovered your both podcasts about the same time. And then I started listening. I thought, oh, there's this thing that's called facilitation. It sounds like it's similar to training, but it's not quite. So what is it? And I started reading and exploring and taking courses and so on and infusing my trainings with facilitation tactics or methods. And then surely enough, I started just slowly replacing trainings whenever I could with small workshops, especially for leadership, soft skills, communication. And I was just amazed by the quality of conversations that were starting to happen. And also the feedbacks for those sessions were just amazing compared to the trainings and people were like, just so into it. And I thought, hey, this is like the best kept, world best kept secret. The best, yeah, it is. And it's funny you mentioned the word facilitation because it's still not really loose in terms of the definition and what it is. But yeah. I think described it really beautifully in terms of like not even the graduation but the shift over to using more facilitative methods in that can you mm -hmm. share like why do you think you were getting that response from your sessions like why were they just like the feedback was so different to the training what, what yeah. do you think is happening yes. there yeah so in usually in training it just it depends on the design of course there are trainings that are beautifully designed with the learner in mind and with a human-centered approach to the whole design process but back then, the trainings that I was delivering were not like that. So for me, it almost felt like I'm in the driver's seat, of course, as the trainer. And then somehow the learners, how we call them, they were somewhere in the backseat and they weren't really involved. So you had the activities, but everything was just very scripted. At like It, it felt like a steam, like now you have to do this and then we debrief a bit and see what you learned. Whereas with facilitation, I think it flipped and they felt they felt that they were taking the spotlight actually, because you put in the question out there and if it's designed properly, the design itself, it's supporting the conversation, the small groups, the vulnerability, the bravery, the questions you're crafting. So suddenly I think they saw, they were immersed and probably it felt that it was truly about themselves. So the feedback I was hearing was always, it's so interesting to hear other people's perspectives. I thought that I was the only one dealing with such and such challenge it was so cool to hear how others are tackling things and what they do and I took so much away so it was this almost like a buzz like an energy after workshops that wasn't in the room after trainings yeah I love that you use the word buzz in that like that sort of humming type of tone and yeah. I think we've got very similar uh, paths into this because I remember I kind of share on previous episodes like my run sheet when I was a trainer was 11 11 to 11 12 share this it was like so scripted <laughs> when now, I started it was like of, that yeah yeah I don't know like I felt but that I needed that to be to even be confident to even show up to a mm. workshop knowing that I had this precision and it's really interesting now like what you're saying the group learning from each other and I love that metaphor of the drive the back seat I totally hear that in that we now can be a bit more kind of we're a bit more lazier in our approach but we're getting better outcomes which is so counterintuitive yet awesome mm, yes exactly it got me thinking when you said about the training I wonder if I wouldn't have been training before how much more difficult would have been to pick up some of the facilitation skills mm -hmm. because even now I'm facilitating already for years and I'm still learning and sometimes I still struggle and sometimes I still find myself in a situation with the group and I'm like what do I do now so it's like a very long journey I guess or it was like this for me and then I had at least the opportunity to work with groups before 
So I wonder if I wouldn't have trained, how would I blend it? Like, how would I blend it in this whole facility? Yeah, so I don't just, know. <laughs> I reckon I still would have come in as a control freak. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just don't know. I mean, I mean, it's a very interesting question for anyone listening. would love to like, let Anna-Marie and I know on LinkedIn what you think about that question. I'd love to know people have actually just jumped into facilitation in terms of like strategy process or things mm. like that versus having that kind of step like the, the schooling of training as well now your are most of your sessions um virtual or do you run in person too mm. like how's it working for you very much virtual I have to say just the other day I was chatting with someone I was like oh I think I would be so nervous if someone would suddenly invite me to host something offline I was like oh sticky notes and then you have pens and you use the walls and you move in the room mainly mainly virtual now for the past almost four yeah ever since the pandemic started I haven't delivered anything offline yeah okay um, it is a very different feeling it's even just packing my mm. suitcase for the first time last year and going to a workshop was like really interesting um now with the virtual work that you do I feel kind of bad we're on zoom now but you work for butter mm. so yes. <laughs> forcing you onto a competitor's platform but Maria, like your thought leadership on LinkedIn is all about building a community so I'm curious mm. if you've got any sort of tips people for facilitators or any kind of thought leader or someone listening in that wants to really build that sense of connection with group members like how have you pursued that what are you reading like what are you experiencing yeah so I stumbled into the community building world actually by mistake or accident when I started building my first ever community before even calling myself a community builder or manager and joining the butter team as an official community manager I build a community for learning and development professionals because I from HR business partnering I pivoted to L&D and then I find myself very like what is this thing I need to talk to people I have to learn from folks and for me usually com community it started like that it started with this need to get together with like-minded people and learn from them have access to their brains and have them have access to my brain and I took so much out of it and so right now there it's fascinating because there's so much of the facilitation skills that I've learned and I used in just workshops that I bring into event and even in the way we very often also asynchronously connect and collaborate and chat with people because community it has a very big sync element to it but it also has the asynchronous the forum the sharing afterwards we don't have to be constantly in the same room to be able to learn from each other and so I think there were a couple of things that helped me a lot in changing that mindset. I was very protective at the beginning with the word community, because I guess every time you're starting something, you have certain expectations. It was it's the same with workshops, with training, you kind of have your image and then you go there and almost sometimes, as you mentioned, this control, <laughs> control freakness, the, con <laughs> the need to control the process. That was very present for me. And I realized that those two things cannot really, like there's a clash in between bringing people together for a common shared goal and then me wanting to control however that process looks like. And I realized that I can control it for myself. Like I can set goals and I can set an intention whenever I meet people. But at the end of the day, we have to almost in facilitation worlds, so we say we create the space, right, for people to also make that space their own and be able to take out of it whatever they need and for me it was very intuitive in a way I just went trial error I just started and I was like oh this doesn't quite feel right it doesn't feel like people are like we're on the same like we're pulling at the same string so what can I change and I brought a lot of like letting loose letting go of control distributing control 
increasing kind of the community core circle with not having to be me the only person that comes with ideas or drives it forward so I, I reckon that there's also some very important leadership skills that comes into that on top of the facilitation skills and I just went like this like with trial error and looking at always at the outcome and the value that was for me very and in community we tend to be very often obsessed with engagement it happens the same in workshops how do we keep people engaged and how do we keep them there all the time like this engagement is always it's looming so right? there. it's all it's like always there engagement we must engage so yeah, true it's the same in community yeah and then and for me the moment I, I started making the switch from engagement into are we creating value for each other, for each and one of us individually? And then for us as a community, there are two types of value that we can bring out. The moment I switched that together with the letting letting go and involving people and trusting people, everything started like a snowball to unfold. And it was very beautiful to witness. And I was really proud that I was able to make that switch almost like a mindset switch for myself, for and foremost. And then I just, you know, I listened to podcasts. Uh, by other community builders and there are great books obviously I'm sure you read Rhea Parker's book and it's also like it's funny how <laughs> it became like a name in community building as well not only in the facilitator world and there are other yeah. great folks that I just follow and I take bits and pieces I don't do much more than that and try to apply as much everything I hear and try to apply and experiment in my own context that's so great that you have it like that sort of mindset of experimentation and just trial and error mm -hmm. And it is funny that you said, like Priya Parker, I think hers, like, it's the most recommended book in this entire mm -hmm. show. Like every second episode, we mention a book. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> now, I really like that question. Um, the, the switch of like, how are we creating, like, are we creating value for this group? I know when I started like the flip chart Facebook group, I was responding to like, you know, much, maybe much like it was like, you know, someone would ask a question and in the early days, like I'd respond immediately. Like I was just... <laughs> I don't know, for some reason, wanting to just build the engagement and make sure there's value in there. How do you define creating value for your community? So it will look different from community to community, for sure. And the first thing that informs the type of value that you might potentially want to produce or bring to world is the goal or the purpose of the community. So I always tell people, start there. Why did you start at this group or this community? There was a reason for that. And for me, for L&D Shakers, the reason was for L&D professionals to be able to learn from each other. So it made a lot of sense for that value to come in the form of different knowledge sharing events, different conversation formats, whether synchronous, we experimented with async formats of sharing, community takeovers, beats and pieces. So we experimenting with all that sharing part and the purpose informs that. And after you start, usually really small, I will tell people start small, don't sit there to make a big plan because the moment you're going to put something into the community, if you're open, to feedback, people will share feedback, the community will talk back to you, you will know if you're on the right path, if you're on the wrong path, you will keep it together, you don't need to have all the answers, you can just ask folks, yeah. was this useful? <laughs> yes, no, do we do this again? <laughs> yes, no, people will tell you if it's not useful. So, and, and then the second point, data point for value is exactly the feedback that we get, and that might come in from one-to-one -one conversations, you might work with surveys, I ask people, what is it that, what makes your time here worthwhile? Like you've joined, what, what would make you come back 
to this space once a week or once a month? What would you like to find here? And then people will tell you, I want to network, I want to learn. It's usually very similar. But then we're in L&D, so I was like, we went into, let's create coaching opportunities. We're launching a mentoring program, which is valuable for people. And on the flip side, the same with the butter community. We have a lot of consultants and freelance facilitators and trainers. So what, what do they need? They have some similar needs, but they have different needs. How do we brand them, market them, get them over business, put more eyeballs on their skills? So it's a slightly different approach, but that's it. The goal of the community and the feedback from folks, once you start, it will inform how, what value is and how should it look like for them. Yeah. And, and then you start and then you pivot and you discard. It's like sometimes some things are working from right now and they will stop working next year. And it's okay to kill your darlings if you want and be like, okay, this has worked. It has its moment. It's fame. It's a moment of fame. Now it's time to let go and look towards something else. So, yeah. Yeah. I love it. The process you talk about is like, it's, it's like, community agnostic it work across any it depends on what the value is and, yeah. and the fact that because sometimes also like I'll get caught in my own head and thinking I've got to solve this and why aren't people engaging the e-word again and you're right like just ask just get out of your own head and people will tell you if you've created that so you know it's such a simple you know people often ask me like how do I know what my market needs like ask them like it's that's the best way it's yeah yeah also engagement looks different like in, in the both communities that I am actively part of, there are weeks and sometimes days, it's buzzing. People are there. There's lots of questions and answers and conversations and fun. And and other times it's not. And at the first time when that's happening, it's like, what's happening? Like, well, where are the people? Where are the questions? Where are the answers? <laughs> and you're kind of, you're, you're, it's, very pan- it's a very panicky feeling. But it has, it's a living organism it, it has its moment and sometimes if right now if if there's a slower week in terms of engagement I'm like people have their lives and people have their things and you know that's not the only thing people do chat mm. in our communities they go there when they need the value that we provide if they're not there it must be a good week in the world of L&D or facilitation, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah everyone's running workshops. Everyone's like booked out. There we go. Like, no one's got some time to, to commit. So yeah, that's so true uh, in terms of like, not even like like the rhythm of the group. It's not going to be consistent. It ebbs and flows and that's totally fine. But yeah, I, I think what I'm pulling out from this conversation is you, you make me really laugh. Like we all focus on this engagement thing. And like, if they're not, you know, if even on Zoom calls, like if I feel like I'm losing someone in five minutes, like, oh, I must engage them back. And it's like, well, on a Zoom call, like if I'm a participant, there's times where I'll just sort of not be engaged the whole time and that's okay. So we do have that kind of, yeah, it's quite funny. And can I add something here? And I'm pretty sure this applies to workshops as well. Like it happened to me. It was one of those moments that stuck with me and it opened my eyes to certain extent, like, so your community is also quite big, right? In the hundred, like probably thousand, like you have more over a thousand people. Yeah, in the right now. Now. Yeah. yeah. So it's like when you go over a thousand, like for me, that's a really big space to be in. And so usually normally, like in terms of community, like around 5% are engaged and that's kind of the normal in the industry. So, so if you're around five, you're fine. And I remember that I attended a offline event end of last year and amongst the other participants, there was a, a woman that came to me and said, hey, Anna Maria, I know you from Alan Shakers. I've been part of the community for so long. 
And I just want to thank you because it's a wonderful space. I take so much out of it. Every week I come back to every Friday, I go back and I kind of look over the things were shared, the resources, the conversations, and I've learned so much and I've applied so much to my work. And I also wanted to thank you for the fact that you've built a space without giving me the feeling that I need to be present and vocal. Love that. And I didn't knew her. She wasn't a person that was engaged according <laughs> to our book standards, right? Yeah. She wasn't answering, asking questions, etc. But she took the value that she needed from that space. For her, that space was valuable. Love and, that. And, and then I thought, how wonderful is that? Yeah, that's awesome. Because we think that only if you're engaged, you're taking something out of it. And that's right. It's the same in workshops. You know, sometimes oh, yes, the quiet people yes. are the ones taking the most out of it, processing the most, learning the most, and we're worried because they're not engaged. But look engaged according to our definition of Correct. what engaged looks like. Like, yes. yeah, such a great conversation. I'm, I'm going to take a, a little pivot here, just talking about the, like, mm. so what I'm thinking about is people that lurk on LinkedIn. So it's really funny, mm. like, um, I might have a someone random that's they, they might be a, a client and well, they're not a client yet, but they messaged me on LinkedIn saying, I've been following your content for years. And I'm like, oh, who is this person? They've never engaged once in my content. Now, the reason I bring that up is because you are so alive and you've got great energy and great content that's coming out on LinkedIn. So congratulations on building your brand and your thought leadership on there. Um, I know I've got friends, colleagues that want to do something similar to, to what you're, you've created on that platform. How did you do it? What are you up to? Man, I have so many conversations, especially with friends, not just with strangers, but with friends. I'm kind of like, hey, why are you not using this platform for what it's meant to be used for, which is shining a light on what you know and what you don't know as well. So for me, the whole LinkedIn sharing and learning and connecting started quite late. It started just I, four years and a half ago. I was present on there because I was working in HR and I was using LinkedIn to recruit people. That was it. I was connecting mm. with them. I was inviting them to interviews. That was that. And then the moment I people there from my chart on India and moved to the Netherlands, I started to spend more time on LinkedIn. And for me, everything started with this need to share what I was learning. My job previously was very demanding, was working every day, nonstop, traveling a lot. So it, there wasn't much time to learn. Now, where when I moved here and I got a job from nine to six and I was like oh suddenly I had the afternoons for me and the weekends and I could start taking courses and attend workshops and it was this hunger to learn and get out there and then every single time all the pictures the takeaways I was taking notes and putting them on LinkedIn no one was engaging I had a really low following but I realized that it really didn't I didn't do it for the sharing it was yeah. almost like and I loved going back to my feed and be like oh, last month I learned about this thing and here are the pictures. It almost became like a bit of a learning journal, if you want, for Love myself, yeah. uploading that there. And then suddenly, and the moment people start engaging and be like, wow, that's actually really interesting. What kind of course is that? What kind of method is that? That really drove my motivation to share more because I realized that it was useful to someone. And for me, that's even now a very good rule of, I don't post every day. I'm not... Like, I don't have a, I don't want to put a weight on my shoulder and just whenever I have something to share, which I think might be useful to people following me, I put it out there and see what happens. And short enough, very often people are like, hey, this is, I like this. This is useful. Thanks for sharing. And communities, like for me, being an active part of communities 
was a crucial role. Like I now, everyone that enters the communities or attends, very often I share my LinkedIn, I ask them about theirs. Let's connect beyond this event. Let's connect beyond this conference. Let's connect beyond this coffee chat. I want to follow your work. I want to be inspired. Maybe you find something in my work. So that's kind of how I grew my following constantly. No matter where I met people in real life or in my communities, I constantly brought them there in order to keep connection asynchronous afterwards. And that's it. I don't, yeah, there's not a lot of strategy around that, to be honest. Just, I absolutely love and. I learned so much from LinkedIn. Like I truly curate yes. my feed. Yes. I have notifications for the people whose work I truly value. Like it became such an important learning tool for me. And I take so much out of it. Oh, um, 100%. That I apply to my work. Yeah. Just a content, great articles, things like that. I love it. When I was over in California, I was at this talent development conference and Jess Elmy, I'll give her a shout out. She gave us a cool acronym, TILT stands for things I learned today. And I'm just thinking mm -hmm. of your story. And um, also Alan Weiss, who I saw in, I was asking him like, how do you put out all this content? Like, you know, he puts out just a ton of content every single day. And he goes, I just write for myself. And I think it sounds like when you mm -hmm. merge those two things, like keeping that sort of learning out loud record of what you're covering, uh, it's pretty powerful. We speak about, like we are just jumping around here because I'm like, there's so many cool topics I want to ask. But prior to recording, we talked briefly, which is ironic, about the topic of brevity and keeping things succinct. And I was sharing, I mean, even on my masterclass this morning, I know there were times where I was like, Leanne, just stop talking. <laughs> and I had to like kind of trigger myself to pull it back. And I find in, you know, training versus facilitating, facilitators, I think require a bit more brevity. What are your thoughts on that? Because I know that I talk a lot, I just have to be much more mindful with the design, like the preparation for the session, because I know that that's a pitfall of mine. So I try to prepare the design and the activities that I use in workshop to rescue me or to be like the end of that, to not allow myself too much space to just ramble because I can. <laughs> and so <laughs> I either craft the questions very thoughtfully and I, you know, sometimes I attend workshop and there's a question and someone answers and the facilitation has this need to elaborate on that question. I very purposefully do not add anything to anyone's questions. You shared, thank you very much. I'm not going to agree, disagree, build on top, anything like that. So I'm like very purposefully avoid that as a ways to talk less and then using small groups and breakouts and silent work as well. So this combination of alone work together work be group and I just use slide like very simple either with images or with a couple of words just to guide me and I time box I was like if you want to send a message and bring up some piece of theory insights etc you've got five minutes and it has to fit in five slides and that's that. I see the time. I see my, I'm a third slide. The time's up. I need to speed up. Yeah. So that's kind of the things I devised for myself to make sure that I'm not. Yeah. That's there. a good point about um, riffing off people's responses. And mm -hmm. I think I've been that facilitator that's been like, oh yeah. And it's, <laughs> you know, there's so many places where you can go with a response, but you're right. It's, I think a lot of people in our workshops are intelligent people and they're connecting the dots themselves. Mm -hmm. They don't need further elaboration. And I think it's I guess my assumption has changed that actually I'm working with very smart people. They're smart enough mm. to connect the dots. And if they don't, then someone will call it out and, you know, we can, yeah. then we can go there. But also if what you're adding is an added value to that comment, that's perfectly fine. It, like if it 
people are nodding around and saying, mm, that was good. that was a good one, right? Then you know, oh, I'm glad that I didn't keep that one in. But if you're just kind of rephrasing what the person, oh yes, Leanne, that was really good. I agree with you. Then I, then I think, oh, someone else could have talked in that, or I could have just shared anyone else has a similar opinion or anyone else shares a different opinion that what Leanne just shared. Let's hear, let's hear the flip side of the coin. Or so you there's this kind of follow-up you could intervene with a follow-up question not necessarily with the follow-up <laughs> elaboration <laughs> yeah, paraphrase it. To... <laughs> yeah paraphrase it extend it <laughs> but I have yeah. nothing else to it that's such a great very tactical I really like that as a, as a tip so um and Maria do you have any like suggestions or if, if you've got first-time facilitators that are listening into this podcast what would you share with them I can share a bit was helpful for me when I started this journey I, because it wasn't easy. I was, I'm not a natural, I wasn't a natural facilitator. That was not my default. I was a very directive person and I was coming from years of management and directiveness. So I think it's patience, be patient. And also you can read all the books and listen to all the podcasts and follow all the people and take all the courses. If you do not put yourself into a safe space where you can practice and get feedback from people that are maybe one two steps ahead of you nothing will happen because very often we know the theory and there's something although you know how to do things you need to see yourself actually doing it in order for that for your behaviors to change and to really actually understand what that knowledge means and how it looks like in real life so for me that at work, every time I, I was like, this is a training. I was telling my manager, this is a, our training. And then it was a workshop. It's like, no one knew, like they had no idea. So I was like going and disguising workshops and mini facilitation parts at the beginning of trainings and in meetings. Whenever I could, I would just go there and infuse an activity, infuse an icebreaker, infuse something to A, elevate the experience, but also be like, how do I react in that space? And for me, it was always, can I really do it? The first time I attended a masterclass of facilitation, I got up. I was like, I don't think I can be this. I don't I think I can be a facilitator. It was, it felt so foreign and hard. And then I said, I think you need to start small. And I'm still on the path, but I'm definitely getting more confident at it. So I would say that just applies and communities are great, like your community, Butter community, Miriam's community. Those are great space spaces where you're with your peers, no clients, you don't run the risk of, you know, messing something up. Find your community and your tribe and just practice. Just host. Raise a hand and be like, I'm hosting. It was just super scared. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's such a great idea. I love that you were finding um, moments to facilitate in everyday moments. Like, it, you know, like as in weaving it into what was existing. So that that is such a great tip. Anna-Maria, you've been just amazing to talk to. We could, I'm sure there's so much more we could cover. But if people do want to connect with you, definitely check out your LinkedIn profile. Put a link in the show notes. And where else can we send them? Well, if they're into L&D, L&D shakers, if they're into facilitation, the butter community, and then I'm just, I basically live on LinkedIn. So that's the best way to reach out to me. Feel free to connect, share messages. I'm happy to learn. Oh, amazing. And we'll put a link to everything um, in the show notes for this one. Anna Maria, it's a joy being your first call of today. Thank you so much for sharing your, just your experience and I guess your joy and curiosity, always learning and improving and building engagement, engagement, engagement. I'm just kidding. I'm at that last point. <laughs> it's been great to chat with you. Thanks, Anna Maria. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, have an awesome day.